That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. Well, that's what she said. Welcome to the latest That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. I am Sarah Spain, and I'm super excited for this week's episode. It was something marinating in my life, and I decided this is my podcast, so I could talk about whatever I want, and this is what I wanted to talk about. So author and New York Times columnist Carl Richards is going to be on talking about a story that he wrote at the turn of the new year about deciding maybe not to be so much about saying yes and crushing it and work hard, play hard, and thinking a little bit more about resting and balance. Um, I also thought of it because I, I did a story. If you didn't know, my podcast usually runs on ESPNW.com alongside a short column every week. And this week the column is about Annie Pankowski. She's a junior hockey player at Wisconsin. All Frozen Four team, zoology major, looking to go to vet school. Super busy, busier than your average college student. Um, and she works with something called Occupause in her free time which is to help train seeing eye dogs. And she has them living with her in her apartment in college. She brings the dogs to practice and classes. And when she goes out of town for a, for a hockey game, she drives 20, 25 minutes, drops them off at a family. When she gets back, picks the dogs back up and continues working with them. Um, and I think as a former collegiate athlete, I am a better time manager than many, and she feels the same way. You, you know how to function with a full plate. You know how to balance work and school and coaches and your diet and everything else in a way that a lot of just regular college kids maybe haven't figured out quite yet. You're, you're approaching real-life professional approach to things a little bit earlier, and it's great to be able to do that. But I am so great at doing that that I don't necessarily take into account the idea of diminishing returns, which is just because I can balance all of these things and do all of these things doesn't mean that it's best that I do all these things. Um, and are all the things I say yes to worth the time that they're taking? Am I doing them well? Am I making myself happy? Am I making the people I'm working for or helping or hanging out with happy? Or am I drained and giving them and myself less than what is deserved of whatever it is? Um, and there's a great Paulo Coelho, I always say his name wrong, the guy who wrote The Alchemist, Paulo Coelho, um, quote, when you say yes to others, make sure you're not saying no to yourself. And I've been doing that a lot lately. I meet with aspiring journalists for coffee instead of working out. I speak at a networking event on my only weeknight off for three weeks instead of hanging out with my husband. I do a super early morning local TV show to talk about some charity that I started instead of sleeping. And I get four hours of sleep and the whole rest of the day is just pounding coffee and trying to keep my eyes open. Like these are good, admirable things and they are all things that I want to do. But in this case, I think you can have too much of a good thing. And if you never say no to anything, then you end up saying no to yourself in a lot of ways. And if my day is full from morning until night, when do I actually watch the sports that I'm supposed to be talking about? When do I read the stories that will give me better insight and deeper thoughts about these things that I'm talking about on the air? When do I allow myself time and stillness and aloneness to think and question and let creativity and a clear mind sort of wander and inspire me to think about things differently? Um, a few years ago, I actually took a uh, – there's a free online Stanford course – in music and creativity. And I really just wanted to give my brain a little jolt because I used to do all these things, writing and reading poetry, volunteering to help a record label help promote new bands, drawing, creating art. And they've all sort of disappeared because my job takes up all my time. And I felt kind of one note over the last few years because it does take all my time to keep up with the latest in sports and to know about trades and what guy said this and what team did this. 
and I'm not complaining because I really do love this industry. I love the work I do. I understand how long it takes to do the, the stuff well and, and how much time it takes to be successful. But maybe would I be better at my job if I allowed myself a little bit more time, a little bit more creativity, a little bit more space to actually think outside the box and approach things from a perspective that isn't just constantly flooded by everybody else's stories and thoughts and takes. Um, so it made me wonder, like, how do we know when to slow down and how to say no without feeling like we're turning down an opportunity or missing out on something fun or useful or beneficial or denying somebody help or support or advice that they could benefit from that we know that at one time we would have benefited from. Um, so my guest, Carl Richards, wrote a story for the New York Times. And, and a few months ago, I read it and it stuck with me. And like two weeks ago when I felt just completely overwhelmed and like I kept saying yes to things and immediately being like, why did I say yes to that? I don't have time. Um, and it made me want to really sit down and analyze and talk to someone about this problem of, of what we do. Um, and his story was called Let 2017 Be the Year of Working Hard and Resting Hard. It's short and it's great. And I think it's great context for our conversation. So I'm going to read it quickly to you now. I'm tired, really tired. And I'm tired of being tired. In fact, it feels like I've been tired ever since I read Andrew Grove's book, Only the Paranoid Survive, a decade and a half ago. That book was the beginning of a sea change in my thinking about work, business, hustling, and survival itself, so much so that I've been working like a fanatic ever since. Up at five in the morning? Tried it. Daily workouts? Yep. Paleo, bulletproof, gluten-free, cold showers? Check. Build a business, start a side hustle, dominate Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook? Yeah, all that too. Make my family a priority? Of course. Serve in my community? Definitely. For 5,478 days, I've been hitting repeat, and it's killing me. I know I'm not alone. The last 10 years have felt like the hashtag crush it decade. Every time you turn around, somebody is crushing something. Gary Vaynerchuk wrote the book on it, and according to him, people, quote, need to work harder and faster. There's really nothing else to it. I'm exhausted every day, but I'm making all sorts of things happen in my 18 hours, unquote. He added, quote, and I'm pr prioritizing what's important and what's not, unquote. So there we have it. We can add exhausted to words like cynical and busy that we wear as badges of honor. As crazy it all sounds, I have to admit to having believed it. A part of me in some dark corner of my mind whispers, this is all true, Carl. If you don't keep hustling, you'll end up falling behind and no one will listen to you ever again. Then you'll just be another failure left to crawl under a rock, cold and alone to die. But... Since I've appointed myself king of permission granting, I hereby grant everyone the permission to declare the hashtag crush it decade finished. January 2017 will be the official start of the work hard, rest hard decade. We're going to hustle, sure, but we're also going to rest. In fact, we're going to be as good at resting as we are at crushing things. We're going to become pros at turning off social media, getting great sleep, working less and living more. We're going to make being rested cool. We're going to write about it, share, and celebrate people like Jason Freed, who switched his company to a four-day work week during the summer. Then, when people ask how you're doing, you can say, sit down, let's talk about it for a minute, because I have time for you, my friend. At minimum, you should be able to answer, rested, and how are you? I know this sounds like crazy talk, but we can do it. Make it a priority to be human again, to work hard and to rest hard, without buying into the idea that we'll fail at life if we rest. So that in mind, check out my conversation with Carl Richards. I loved it. It's fascinating. I think he is a super interesting guy, and I really enjoyed it. I hope you guys do too. That's what she said.
That's what she said. Happy to welcome in Carl Richards, a certified financial planner, author of The Behavior Gap and The One-Page Financial Plan, also creator of the weekly Sketch Guy column in The New York Times and a columnist for Morningstar Advisor. So you know it's a risk when you ask someone who wrote about saying no to say yes to your request. So for that, Carl, I thank you for not practicing what you preach and for making time for me. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you, Sarah. It's, uh, it, this should be fun. Yeah, so you're in New Zealand right now, uh, perhaps the most beautiful place in the world. I was just there a few months ago. Is this part of the larger plan to be more rested, or is this a work trip? Uh, no, we moved here for um, what initially we thought would be a year, and uh, it's been six months, so we'll 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 see how long we stay, but it, we're thinking we may extend a bit. But, yeah, we moved here for a year. Wow, it's awesome. What area are you in? Uh, we're the top of the South Island in a in a great town called Nelson. Um, Very cool. So, yeah, it's a good wine town, South right? Island. Yeah, supposedly. I don't drink wine, but everybody says it's an awesome wine town. Carl, you're killing me. Jeez. I know. Right I know. in the middle rough, of it all. You send it my yeah. way, Carl. Um, <laughs> Amen. <all right. laughs> so let's start with your background. From where in this world did you matriculate? So I was sort of a, I'm a Utah kid, born and raised in Utah. Lived in Park City before we moved uh, to nice. New Zealand. Um, yeah, it was a great place, and we love it there, and we'll be back. Uh, you know, didn't have any clue what I wanted to do. I mean, I don't think my story is much different than most people's, right? Like, I had no clue what I wanted to do in, in college. You know, I was an undeclared major, applied on, on a whim for a job that I thought was a security job, a security guard <laughs> job, and, and, you know, like a, a bouncer or a mall cop or whatever. I thought this would be great. I can work. I can work, uh, you know, at night and still take a full load at school. And, um, you know, I got halfway through this interview and, and there was no questions about my Kung Fu skills or <laughs> Did you have many and, Kung yeah, Fu skills? First, I'm, You've I'm been practicing? I'm a master. I'm a master. <laughs> so, so I was like, what's going on? And they were asking me about these things at the time that I had heard of. But honestly, could there's no way I could have explained what they were, like stocks and bonds and you know, I went home and reread the uh, ad. It actually said securities, <laughs> not security. <laughs> I had no idea. I made it through the interview. I was going to say though, little... let's let's back up for one second. What college yeah. were you at at the time? <laughs> I'm not quite sure where this is going, but I'll tell you anyway. University of Utah. Okay, and you had graduated. No, no, no. I was okay. So still you were still in college, name. and for whatever yeah. reason, whatever resume slash cover letter you presented caused the people that were doing the interviewing to think that you were qualified for a securities job when you yourself believed yourself to be qualified for a security job. Where's the disconnect there? Right. Yeah. (laughs) Were they just interviewing anyone? Yeah. It tells you a little bit about the applicant pool (laughs) that day, right? Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And it it only gets better real quickly. They narrowed it down to two of us and they came out and said, you know, hey, Carl, I'm sorry. We only have one position when we've offered it to him. And the guy next to me turned to me and Sarah, this is a direct quote. He said, Hey man, I don't want the job. You take it. What? <laughs> so that that was my grand triumphant entrance into the securities industry, and so that that's sort that's sort of how my my um, role with money and advice started um, because I thought I was applying for secure to be a security guard. So we've learned two things already, very quickly. You are not a good <laughs> reader. Uh, no attention to detail, <laughs> and also um, you must be incredibly good at bullshit because if you 
did not know anything about the topic and somehow got the job. Either the pool of applicants was incredibly small, or you somehow convinced the people there that you knew what you were doing. Which one was it, I or was it both? I should have known. I should have known bringing this story up with you that you were gonna, <laughs> you were going to cut to the chase real quickly. So I, I think you. I think if my wife were here, she would tell you, "Oh my gosh, sheriff." nailed you in like 30 seconds. Right. You're not a good reader. You don't pay attention to detail. And you know how to talk your way into anything. So, yeah. yeah. It was uh, been hey, fun. But let me From one BS or to quick. another, we can see it. We can smell it a mile away. That's <laughs> it's gotten me through my whole life. Or, or a hemisphere away. Right. right. Like, yeah, so exactly. Sure. Um, okay, so, sure. so you get this job in securities and you weren't necessarily interested or didn't necessarily feel qualified. When you started working there, was it, oh, wow, this is great. I actually really like this. No, so what happened is in the training, I was like, you know, whoa, I, you know, this isn't, I'm not a security guard. What is this? And I, I, that's one thing I am, I have noticed about myself is I'm always trying to figure out like, what's the deal here? Like, what's, <laughs> what, what's, what, what's my job? Like, I'm always trying to take things from the abstract complex down to the simplest concept, like what matters here. And I was like, what's, what's my job here? And I figured out it was a math job. I'm like, okay, cool. We're using calculators and spreadsheets. I, I, everything makes sense. I can add stuff up. And then in the training room that, you know, it all made sense. But as soon as we got out on the trading floor, right. And answering phone calls from people trying to invest their own money, this was during, um, 95. So it was like, if anybody remembers that, that was when Netscape went public. Mm-hmm. I know that's almost ancient, ancient history. At this I have point, heard but, of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's this little CD and this plug you plugged in the back of a computer, you know, that whole thing. And and, and that's, that started kind of the big technology um, kind of bubble of the late 90s, and people got crazy. And so I remember that feeling is what kept me in the industry, the feeling of, wait, this isn't about math, right? This is about emotion. And and I remember thinking, like, nothing makes sense here. Like, why are, why is everybody behaving so crazy? What's going on here? And and that's what kept me interested in the job. And that, that sort of, you know, that's, that's what's kept me interested ever since is the crazy things we do with money. And then it's expanded a little bit to the crazy things we like when we say we want something and we act a different way. Like that's right. my, that's, that's like the essence of what I'm working on now is like, why do we continually say this and then do this? Right. So when you were undecided, what do you think caused you to not, because you said you feel like that's how everybody was, and I was the opposite. Like, since I was a kid, I wanted to be an entertainer. I wanted to be on Saturday Night Live. I wanted people to have to listen to me talk. Mission you, accomplished. You... Yeah, like, literally from a very young age, I was like, I'm, I want to be the center of attention. I want to entertain, and I'm really good at talking, so let's figure something would out. You, would you say that to people? Like, what do you want to do, Sarah? And you'd say, I want to I want to be on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. I'm still saying it. It's it's getting late, but it's never too late. Um, I did go and watch it from the audience for the first time a couple of weeks ago, so I'm inching ever nearer to that actually being achieved. Um, but I'm just curious because I think sometimes people are undecided because they are not passionate about anything, and sometimes people are undecided because they are passionate about so many things. Um, why do you think that you fell into a career that you are now clearly very successful at versus seeking it out? Gosh, that's such a good question. That's like the that's like the million dollar question right there. I think um, I think there's some really interesting work being done on this whole passion thing, like which comes first. And I, I think it's really interesting. Like you can become you can become really good at something, and that the fact that you're really good at it and skilled at it leads you to become passionate about right, it. Right, for sure. Like that's that's one that's sort of one line of thinking. Like I think Cal Newport's been talking to become so good that they can't for, forget you or something. I think that was his book. 
And then the other line of thinking is like, find your passion and the money will follow. And I, I, I mean, I think it's awesome when it works, but it's also some pretty dangerous advice right. like, to just continually be looking for your passion. And I know plenty of very sad people that have, have taken that approach. So, yeah, there was a great story about that a couple of years ago that talked about how it it sounds great, but it's really terrible advice for a whole generation of people who will forget that work is not always going to be the thing that you love the most. Sometimes it's just going to be work. Yeah, yeah, totally. My grandpa, I, in fact, I remember my, my one of the things that formed um, my view on it was my my grandpa telling me once that he's like, look, if you have a job that you enjoy 50% of the time, but it gives you time to do, and for him, it was all about service in the community. If it gives you time to serve in the community and be with your family, then you're better off than 99% of the world. Like, right. there's no reason to complain, right? So I think that's really... I, I don't know, but I'm also really tor- like I, I'm unemployable at this point. Like I can't do work <laughs> that I'm not fired up about, and, right. and so. I, I, but early on, it was sort of like, look, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I, I remember ten years into my career, I remember my kids used to make fun of me because I'd lean back in my chair at dinner and say, "Gosh, what am I going to do when I grow up?" Right? Like right. what? What? And so it's just been a series of following, like kind of showing up, and and like maybe following the tailwind, right? Like, oh, I'm getting pushed this way. Hey, right. I kind of like this. Let's, let's do that again. Oh, hey, it worked again. Let's try it again. You know, like that kind of right. thing. So for you, it's maybe more about you get pushed into something. The more you learn about it, the better you are at it, the more passionate you become versus the opposite. I think there's both, but, but and they can be bad for, for both ways too. If you're waiting for something yeah. to push you into something you'll be great at, you might be waiting forever. <laughs> so. isn't, that a, isn't that a bummer that there's not like a rule? Right, right. Well, absolutely. Like, do this. Yeah, I mean, the passion thing is a really interesting one because there was a whole generation before who, like, the end life goal was to just make enough money to, like, have your kids have a better life and just be okay, like, not be struggling. And then that allowed for the next generation to not see the struggle and then believe that a really great life is one that is just that you're happy every second because you're doing something that you are passionate about. But unfortunately, there's a lot of people who love things that they're really bad at. And I meet them a lot, and they ask me Please. advice of how to be on the radio. And I'm like, well, you're boring and not funny. And you actually don't speak very well, and you don't seem to know sports. But you should definitely keep going because I have no other advice to you other than if I were you, I wouldn't do this. But I can't say right. that, right? Um, anyway, so well, it, it's or, interesting. Or one more thing, right? Or passionate about something that pays you nothing. Right, yes. Uh-huh. And, and and look, that's a, that's that's okay if you're up for that if you're up for that road. Right. Um, it's just it can also be a struggle. I've got a lot of buddies in the like the outdoor industry because I mountain bike and climb and do all those things, and I've got a lot of friends that, that are uh, very unhappy guides. Yeah. You know, yeah, like, yeah. They like the idea guides, of that, but, but they don't have the money to like then go take off and do their own thing. Totally. So I yeah, had a I wish there was a kayaking guide them. in Norway in a town called Flam. And it has like 3,000 people in it, and it's not near anything. And I literally got down to brass tacks, and I was like, how do you ever hook up? You're like 25, and there's 3,000 people here, and no one comes here for more than like two days. Like, how do you ever meet anyone? You know? Right. Like, you, even if you did, they'd only be here for one night, and like, that's cool a couple times, but, you know, that's right. that's a tough life. So uh, that's yeah, interesting, yeah. yeah. Um, so part of your... Uh, recurring column in the Times uh, is some sort of I actually read the entirety of, of your rested piece and we'll get to that in a little bit but um, part of that is is always a sketch and you go by the sketch guy uh, how did that aspect of it come into play 
Well, yeah, there's two. So two two elements of it. First, the sketches themselves. It was really just. It was like I have. It should be fairly obvious to anybody who knows my work that I, I or even looks at it in a, for a second that I don't have any art background. And and I I was sitting at across the table from clients who I was trying to give advice, and I was convinced that they needed to understand one particular thing. I can't remember even what it was, but I remember they needed to understand something in order to make the best decision possible. You know, it was a really important decision. It was going to have in, big impact, and they needed to understand this thing. And I, I'm, I thought I was really good at making things simple. These were smart people, so it wasn't their fault. One of them was a doctor, and the other one was something else. I can't remember, but they were smart people. And they, I just couldn't explain it. And I, out of like a pragmatic, almost like an act of desperation, I, I was like, no, like this. And I jumped up, and there was a whiteboard in the office, the conference room where we were, and I just drew like like some circles and a square and some arrows or something. They're like, oh. Okay, I get it. Huh. And that feeling right there of, oh, I get it. Like the, 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 the mood, that, that was another sort of early addiction where I was like, oh, man, how can I simplify these things? So that's, the, that's how they started, right? It was just a need to explain, take something that somebody feels unapproachable, like money, unapproachable and complex, narrow it down to something you can do with a Sharpie and cardstock. I've tried using you know, elaborate graphic design software. Right. And I was like, whoa, this is like, it takes two hours to download. Anything <laughs> that takes two hours to download is going to, something I shouldn't touch. Like, right. so I've purposely limited myself to like Sharpie cardstock, black, white, like occasionally we sneak some color in. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's how those started. And then, you know, I started throwing them up on a website as you do right back in the, whatever, late, early 2000s and my mom and my sister read it but I'm pretty sure my sister was lying right so it was just like nobody nobody was reading it and then one thing like you know after doing it in total obscurity lonely, yeah. like yeah nobody anything like somebody asked me to write something somewhere I wrote it and then pretty quickly I got an email from my editor who's still my editor at the time saying hey I love these would you would you do them for us let's try it let's try like a weekly it was like a, a a week. I didn't know it was an audition. I wasn't smart right. enough to know that. Like I'm a, I'm a security guard, right? Like I, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So You're all I about said, kung fu. Said, so. <laughs> yeah. I said, <laughs> I said, of course, let's try it. And we did it. And that's, that was like seven years ago. And wow. about a, a year into it, he, he said, Hey, we came up with a name for your column. And he's like, we're going to call you the sketch guy. And I was all jazzed. <laughs> and I go home, I go home and to tell my kid, cause I'm like, man, my kids will think I'm cool. I got a name. Right. I've got two teenage daughters in high school at this point. I'm like, guess what? There's a name for the column. It's so awesome. It's great. It's called the sketch guy. And they're both just like, are you <laughs> kidding me? Like, do you know what the sketch, who the sketch, the sketch guy is that guy down the hall that you like, sketchy, you know, like yeah. you, you avoid. Sketchy, like, you yeah. sketchy. I was like, oh man, nothing. Maybe yeah. ESPN with Sarah. Maybe will this make will make you cool. cool. Well, we'll see. Yep. You have plenty of time yeah, we'll to make yourself well. extremely lame. Lots, lots more questions to go. Um, no, that's interesting because especially now, like, I feel like infographics and memes are, like, the thing, right? Like, people don't even want to take the time to read a paragraph. So if you can at least get them to understand the concept um, of whatever it is first with that quick visual, then they might be more invested in reading about it, too. So you were ahead of the game on that. Um, your specialty is finance. The Behavior Gap, your website, behaviorgap.com, most of it is sort of rooted in a base discussion of financial issues. That book, The Behavior Gap, is about rethinking situations where your instinct to become successful or to be safe with your money actually costs you success and money. Um, so how do you pivot from that approach to your work and life to a sort of life coach, or as you called it in the rested story, king of permission granting? 
<laughs> Sarah, you're, I have to tell you, you're super good at this. Like Thank that, you. like that, That's that really description nice of, of my my work was awesome because it's I've str- I've struggled myself to define. The behavior gap originally was about a very specific investment concept, and it's grown to define exactly what you just said. Like any time where you think you're doing the right thing, or you say you want to do something, and then your behavior shows something different, or it actually costs you. So the the transition really for me was I got bored of writing about really specific investment slash finance topics, and I started saying, look, if we think about the role money plays in our lives, like we it, it gets pretty. I mean, we can quickly broaden the definition of personal finance pretty fast, right? Like right. Motiva- motivation and work. And, and and I started understanding, I don't know, maybe seven or eight years ago, like this isn't at all about, it's the same problem that somebody, you know, faces with weight or the same problem that somebody faces with wanting to get in shape or eat better. It, it's all comes down to the same thing. Like, so exploring human behavior with a Sharpie is kind of what I'm, focused on now and and particularly through the lens of like when you uh, some people have referred to it as the knowing doing gap right like mm-hmm. you know right. this behavior will be beneficial to you or detrimental to you let's just stick with beneficial you know this behavior will be beneficial to you and yet you do the opposite why is that and how do we solve that problem right that's fascinating all right so let's get into the story uh Am I correct in believing that it was the turning of the calendar year and your own busyness that inspired you to tackle this idea of stopping the idea of crushing it and moving to the idea of resting? Yeah, you know, I can't, there was some specific event and I can't remember, I can't remember, but it was probably just the same old, like, you know, like, Hey, like running into a friend and saying, Hey, how are you? Oh, so busy. Oh, I'm busy. Yeah. I'm busy. And me saying, Oh, that's better than, that's better than the alternative. Yeah. Everyone like busy is good. Yeah. 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 Except I read a great, I read a great story once that said people who have like, like single moms with two jobs and four kids, if you ask them how they are, they don't say busy. Right. That's just, that's a word that we use when we are giving ourselves the, the, the handicap of busyness. Right. They would say tired or overworked or desperate or scraping to get by or whatever. We say busy, but it's so much of it is self-imposed. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I totally get that. You we were having that conversation and you said to yourself, why do we do this? Why do we you know? So when you look at your life and you have all the many aspects that you're trying to get to uh, and we all are sort of have been ingrained for many years now with that crush it attitude of, you know, work hard, play hard. How do you shout down feelings of guilt when it comes to things that you actually do want to do, but maybe you have to admit you don't have time for? Yeah, right. That's that that's 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 a key component. I think one element that's important, maybe we explore for just a minute, is like I got tons of feedback on that article, by the way, like just crazy amounts of email, and and some of them were from. Look, I I was raised by a single mom, and some of them were from, you know the people that you mentioned, I don't know exactly what to call them exactly. They they weren't all single mothers, but they were people who were like, dude, what are you talking about? And isn't that cute of you to be able to (laughs) say that you should, you should rest a bit. Stop sketching so much. Take a break. (laughs) (laughs) And I totally acknowledge that. And I don't know exactly what to do with it other than to say, look, that, that that's not the intended audience. And because the audience I have has a certain problem that we can be cute about and define as like do the old 
thing I right. hate, like the first first world problem problem. It's still a problem for that group, right? Right, so, for sure. So for that group, but for it was that group, just like even this, I mean, even if it's charity or help, like helping out uh, someone at the office who's younger who wants advice or any of those things, you do want to do them. But maybe at some point you have to say, I can't do this every time. Yeah, yeah, and and there was. There was a really good, somebody actually wrote, I can't remember who it was, um, she wrote a great, it wasn't really necessarily a rebuttal, but it was a great added to the conversation. It was really well written and sent me an email about it. And it was essentially like, because so she's a hustler, right? And, mm-hmm. and she said, I think that, I think what you're saying is that it's easy for you to say now that you've got it all, right? And of course, that's totally untrue. The got it all part. But from her perspective, it's like, right. look, you've quote unquote made it. So it's easy for you to say. So that one got me thinking a lot too. And I, I, I think what my goal was, um, was like, look, there's got to be, if, if I were to draw this, I would be saying like, look, you, you know, my experience has been stress now, self-imposed as it may be, right? right. Like stress and worry and concern and never say no. And, and like Gary Vaynerchuk says, like work till my eyes are bloodshot and, right. and you know, all that stuff. And so if I were to draw that line, it would be like this kind of straight up line, not of success, but just of work and crush it, like crush it, crush it, crush it, crush it straight up. And then there's this, this absolute crash right. that, that has happened and is going to happen from time to time for everybody who does that. There's just no way around it, whether it's a crash in your, you know, your family life, your, your health, Whatever it is, it's it's going to crash. You can't keep that up. Um, so, if I was just thinking, like, look, rather than having that slope of crush it, crush it, crush it, crush it, rest, like, oh, I made it, yay, or crash. What if we just said, hey, maybe it's a, maybe we should think a little bit about seasons, and I don't mean like summer, spring, fall, and maybe it's a maybe like just building in a little bit of rest as you go, so it's a more sustainable path, so we don't have I'm worried about the group of 45, 50, like my age group uh, that have just been crushing it. And the group maybe five years or 10 years younger that are really just like social media, crush it, you know, (laughs) I don't know what that, like kill it, like all of that hashtag stuff. I'm worried about like, what is that going to mean for our, our relationships? What's it going to mean for our health? What's it? So trying to figure out a more sustainable way to do the same amount of work. And that was the other interesting thing. Like, I'm not sure I'm not saying work less or get more less results right it's how are maybe you? we just, yeah yeah maybe we think about the stuff that's actually contributing to the work we do and i guarantee you checking twitter at twelve thirty at night is not contributing to the work right. you're doing right unless you need to find out about a breaking trade in the nba and then maybe it is yeah well yeah uh, i yeah, can't maybe. wait till you wake up the next morning and find out um you know it's interesting because you know we are like we are able to speak about a more specific group and and there will be larger issues but i don't we can focus on people who have this problem and and not to right. say that it's the, you know worse than anybody else or it's really tragic but it is true and i think what you said about um this idea of somebody saying to you listen you've already made it the problem i think for people like me and i would imagine like you since you wrote this is it doesn't matter if i get to the goal that i set it doesn't change anything right so i just had a entire summer where I'd just gotten married and spent nine months like nonstop doing a billion things at once. 
And then I had a contract up at ESPN. I signed a new contract in October for four years. And leading up to that, I said, I have to say yes to every single thing because I need everyone at the company to see me doing something awesome so that when I go to get my contract done, I have the best possible deal and blah, blah, blah. And then once I've got it, then I don't have to do everything because I can like relax a little. Of course, I haven't done that at all. Instead, I'm like, ah, I have this new contract and now I have to make sure that I live up to it. And then I, you know, mm. and so I think... You know, there is this element of feeling like at some point you should say, wow, I'm where I wanted to be. And instead, I don't do that. I then think, okay, where do I need to get to next? And if I say no to anything, I might not get there. Why, why didn't – let me ask. So why didn't you say – all right, so you got the new contract. Why? What is it that – like, what are you scared of? Like, why are you still saying yes, 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 yes? Uh, because – I either feel guilty because if someone wants me to help them and then I remember somebody who helped me when I was coming up, I don't uh, want to say yeah, no yeah, to them yeah. or because I feel so thankful that I had a good family and I got a good education and I worked really hard and now I'm doing something I love. So now I want to give back to kids in neighborhoods that don't have all that and hope that I can mm. inspire them to do something good. And then... I also want to make sure I see all my friends and family so that I'm not just working all the time. So I say yes to go get drinks when my radio show is done at 10 p.m., even though I have to be up at 6 a.m. for a TV show about a charity I started. Like, I, it's always something, and I love all that stuff, and I really do want to do all of it. I just can't get my head around the idea that the larger my profile gets, the more requests I'll get, and at some point I can't literally say yes to all of them. Yeah, isn't that that's so that element of people said yes to you. Yeah. When you were a quote unquote nobody, right? Like when you were just coming up and people right. said yes to you and you I like I really struggle with that because I get all these emails and you're just like, Oh my gosh but I so I yeah, I don't know the answer. I do know that my wife Well, thanks for coming on the show ago, and no <laughs> <laughs> no, but I do. I do know that it's so awesome. It's super awesome to explore it, right? Because it's so. I, what I've found really fascinating is that people. It. I. I know that people listening to your show are going to feel better right. knowing that you're going through this because I feel better saying, hey, you know what? That was awesome. Like, and every time I talk about it, people are like, wow, you feel that way? I'm like, yeah, I totally feel that way. So yeah. I think exploring it, talking about it, sort of co being out about it is, yeah. is, is awesome. One thing my, my wife did a while ago, she gave me this three, three by five index card and she wrote no on it. <laughs> and she put it in my, she put it in my shirt pocket and she said, okay, for the next. So I think there's probably like, maybe there's a, Maybe this idea of seasons of yes is an interesting one. Like, I think you're right. Like, there is probably an element of early career when you're like, I got to say yes to everything, right? I just, I, it, this, is an, this is a planned imbalance. But then right. your, your point is exactly right. Like, how do you, because I have buddies like that from the investment banking world is a great one, right? Where you say, like, they slept under their desks for yeah, four hours yeah, a night for yeah. like four years. Yeah, and they say, oh, "I'm only going to do that till I have right. a bunch of money, and I can." And then I have a family, and I'll want to see rent. them, and then it's like, "Well, now I could make partners, so now I can't leave." You know, well, now I'm a partner. Get, yeah, <laughs> you get addicted. Plus, what happens with like your kids? They're like, "Who are you?" Right. You know what I mean? Like right. you did. Like what, what, what? I don't. I don't want anything to do with you. I'm like you yeah. haven't been around. So, so yeah, huh. I don't know. But my my wife just said, "Hey, take that card out every time somebody asks you to do something, and just look at it for a second before you say yes, and just think through." So I'm now trying to be really careful, 
and, and man, those emails of people wanting help, like I still, that's the hardest one right. for me. So yeah. I still try to say like, Hey, I love you. And I wish I could help. And, and then I've, I've also like tried to create a system so I don't have to redo this every week right. or every month. So that's month. what I was going to say, say okay. is I've, yeah. I've had like, I, I discovered this maybe like two years ago, but it, I was reminded of it as I was thinking about doing this podcast and the week that I had that inspired me to revisit your story that I remembered having read um, and to put it into, into action. And, and there's two of them. One is they're both sort of practical solutions. One is if somebody asks you for help and you are very busy to say, I'm really busy right now. Can you message me in two to three weeks and hopefully I'll be a little more free? And that puts the onus on them. So if it really matters to them, and if there's someone deserving of your time, they come back. And if they don't, then it wasn't that important to them or they're not in a position yet to be responsible enough to to learn from your advice, right? Because they can't even put something on their calendar to remind them to ask you again. And the other one is I take a giant chunk of something that I've sent someone forever ago, I copy paste it and I say, here's most of the questions I always get and how I answer them. And then once you go through this, if you have other more specific questions or things that are like that deal specifically with you, I'll get to them and just send me them. And then maybe that's all they needed, you know, instead of redoing it. Totally. I, I've so I've done the same thing and I've seen other Brene Brown has a great on her contact page. If you go to contact and you yeah. want to send her an email, she has a great, really gracious email that just you know, that I, I, I it was essentially like one of the great things about having an online community like this is we get to talk to each other. One of the really hard things for me is I can't respond to everything, right? It was, it was right. a really great way of doing it. But I love the FAQs idea, right? Like, yeah. hey, here's the questions. I have. It's like career FAQs. Like, I'm going to put awesome. it on my website. I just haven't transferred it yet. But, yeah, just to be like start yeah. here and hopefully that gets you most of the way. Yeah, I love that. And then the other one about that email, the idea of contacting you again, one thing I found really interesting, and I do this too and I'm trying to get better at it, is – it's so easy to send, like, so somebody can send Sarah a question, you know, how do I get a job? Like, and they think it took them, it took them, you know, 45 seconds right. to type the question. Right. But the answer is like a 20 minute or maybe even longer. Like you've hit, yeah. you've hit postpone, you've delayed it, you've delayed it. <laughs> right. So I've, I've found sending like just, just typing this at once, a canned response in Gmail that says, Hey, thank you so much for your question. Um, if you'll take a little bit of time and flesh that out a bit, like I need to, I need, I need you to write me enough information that I can answer yes or no. (laughs) And I'm happy to answer yes or no to like five or six of these questions and be helpful. In the meantime, here are some of the other questions I've got. Here's the FAQs, right? Yeah. And so you're still trying to be helpful because I don't want to be that guy that's like, sorry, I don't have time. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I love, I love those ideas. I also, uh, there's the idea of the hiatus, which I have put into place a couple times where I just tell, I just decide I'm not going to say yes to anything that is not my job or like some amazing offer. And then I just tell that person I'm on hiatus until X date, get back to me then. Like, and then I actually try to enforce it. It worked with a wedding because the wedding feels super oppressive. It's harder to put it in place with, with nothing. Oh, those weddings are so oppressive. Well, I mean, oppressive time-wise, not oppressive in actual. The, the act of getting married is quite nice. Um, so, you know, the other thing that somebody said to me the other day that stuck with me when I was actually looking for your column, I put something on Twitter. I said, somebody wrote this awesome column. Does anyone remember it? What was it? Um, and someone sent to me this um, this quote by uh, Paulo, Paulo Coelho. I always say his name wrong. Yeah. The guy who wrote The Alchemist. Yeah. Um, when you say yeah. yes to others, make sure you're not saying no to yourself. 
And I try to remind oh, myself hey. of that because then when you're processing whether you want to say yes to something, you do want to help that person. But if it realizes that you then don't, you say no to yourself to sleep or work out or see your family or relax, then that is a part of the decision-making process instead of only the one side of will I help this person. Which totally. I think is I, so, yeah, yeah, two two quick things. Uh, we call that monk mode around here, the hiatus. So we yeah. often <laughs> spawn that way. And I, I'll, sometimes I'll just have somebody else respond because I'm so, I am just say yes to everyone, right? So it'll just say, hey, Carl's in monk mode working on a big project right now. Um, ho- hopefully this will help, right, and direct them to something that will be helpful. Um, I lo- used to love Tim Ferriss used to have an email, an autoresponder, <laughs> and I can't do this, but he had an autoresponder that said, thank you for your email. It has been deleted. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, oh yeah. Gosh. Yeah, I can't do and that. Then, <laughs> and then, and then, like, uh, you know, Cal Newport is, has just made himself really hard to, to, to find. It's like right? Bill like, Murray. And, yeah. Yeah, so that's all interesting. And then the, I love the the, the perspective because one thing my, my wife's the conversation around the no card was, hey, you've got to realize that when you say yes to someone else, and then you come home and say no to coaching your daughter's yeah. soccer team. Yep. So so I tried really hard to like that's what's really hard, and I would I, I've written that email as a canned response to just saying, look, if I say yes to you, like as bad as I want to say yes to you, like I really want, but if you've got to realize, if I say yes to you, I'm saying no to my family, and yeah. so that's good I too. Have, I'll or give no a guilt to my, trip for sure. <laughs> yeah, or no to my health, or no to my yeah. rest, or no. Yeah. And all of those things are in the. I mean, for you particularly, they're in the public good for you to stay healthy and happy and interest because we want you doing the work you're doing for another 25 years, right? right. Like that's, that's not just self-interested. Yeah. The other thing I wonder, right. so I mentioned this in the intro of the pod, the idea of diminishing returns, which I think can be easier to calculate when it's not your own life, but like realizing that everything we do will be a little bit less great if we don't give anything the time and energy it requires to actually do it well. Like sometimes it feels like the only way to get by is to give just enough time to everything to get it done. And it can be hard to actually put a put a number or an idea on how much better that thing could have been done if you hadn't said yes to everything else. So I, I wonder if there's any practical or quantifiable way to look at your life and, and say this would have been much better if I had just given it what it needed. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I don't know that there's a quantifiable way, but I think there's certainly just a sort of, uh, what would you call it, like an intuition test. And yeah. Cal, Cal, Newport, Cal Newport's work on deep, his new book, Deep Work, is so good about this. Like, it's becoming increasingly rare for somebody to have the ability to focus long enough to do deep work rather than just 100 and whatever, mm-hmm. how many characters is it? 140? Like, I don't yeah. know what, what it is. Yeah, so... Right. So it, it, it and because it's becoming increasingly rare, it's also becoming increasingly valuable. Right. And we can recognize deep work like I can I can recognize. I mean, I've done, you know, when the books come out, you do whatever you do, that 200 podcast thing. And I, yeah. I get on and get on with someone like you that is absolutely clear you're a professional because you spent the time Thanks. to even read the post. You know what the book was about. You could describe it. And I get on with somebody else and they'd be like, so do you have a stock tip for us? And you're like, yeah. you don't even have the, like, you didn't even read my bio if you right. have that question. So, so it, it's that, I think that idea of just stopping for a minute and saying, okay, am I just, am I just mailing sort of it in. punting yeah. here? Yeah, yeah, I was going to use a mailing oh, good, in. Good sports well, analogy. Nailed it. I know. So good. Um, and is there something I could do better here? And if I'm going to do better at this, what am I just going to have to say no to? And then think through like the good, better, 
best scenario, right? right? Like, yeah. good things are awesome, but they get in the way of the better things, and better things are great, but what's the best thing here? So I'm going to continue taking up your time because I'm really enjoying this. So before we move on, I wanted to ask you, you know, you mentioned a lot of people uh, responded to this. At the end of this rested story, you did say you wanted people to send you their stories of making the switch. So besides that great response you got, is there any other one that like really stood out to you in terms of, of someone responding to the story? Oh, man. Um, it's been a little while. And so give let's, let's circle back to that one. Let me just let it. Let it around a bit because there, okay. there, there was a bunch oh like i think i got like i mean there was two stories in a row where we asked for a response and there was over 1200 emails from the two stories so i don't know which one this was like which is so great when you just said you wanted to save time and be more rested and now you've got 1200 responses <laughs> well, and, that and you and want I think to read we, i think we did i think we did it around the same time as granting permission ah, um, okay. and a lot of people linked those two together and just said like look i really want to say no to this but I can't like, oh, there was a guy who's like in. Oh, yeah, yeah. Here's one in the best. And these are I, look, nobody can say whether or not this person is making the right decision other than the person making the decision. So right. it's easy to judge. But it had got accepted to like the best medical school in the country. And I, I can't remember which one he thought was the best because I would think that would be the University of Utah. But I don't think that's <laughs> what he was saying. Um, the best the best football university in the country as well. So, right. Of course. Um, yeah. Of Renowned. course, yeah. So I was, <laughs> uh, and and decided like it's not what I want to do. Right, like, I'm. It's not what I want to do. And so it was a. Uh, there was an element of saying no to expectations, which I thought was really an interesting take. Like this was what my dad did. This is what everybody expected yeah. me to do. This is what I thought my whole life. I'm gonna say no to that so that I can do this thing over here, and. I know it may sound crazy. It may even be irresponsible, but it's been eating me alive. I'm going to say no. Yeah. Right? That was an interesting one. I think there was a couple on, um, there was a couple that I'm obviously totally unqualified. There was a couple on uh, coming out as gay. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Um, saying, I'm going to say no to the expectation. Like, fascinating stuff. I can't believe, like, when, when I sit down and read them, I'm like, I can't believe people send me this stuff. Yeah. Well, it's also interesting, too, how you can write something because it bubbled up from something specific in your life. But once it's out there, whatever the person dealing with it, reading it is dealing with, well, then that's how it will read to them. And they'll be able to take it away, which is why it's a, a, a great piece, because there are so many ways that people can read it and, and put it to their own life. Um, yeah. Speaking of, you just wrote about imposter syndrome, which is something I've talked about on the pod before uh, for the newbies. It's the idea that really high-achieving individuals can constantly be worried about being exposed as a fraud, that their success is due in some part to tricking people into thinking that they're worthy and that eventually they'll be found out. Um, and early studies sort of thought it was mostly common among high-achieving women, but most, even those who coined the phrase now, agree it's really common in both genders. And the woman who started it all even says if she could do it all over again, she would call it the imposter experience because it's not really a syndrome or a complex or a mental illness. It's something almost everyone experiences. But this idea that um, even after you've achieved great success that you don't deserve it and, and you're not good enough. And you talked about this, and I wonder, it seems like a negative, but how do you turn what feels like a negative into potentially a positive in viewing the way you live your life that way? Yeah, well, first we have to know, Sarah, do you feel that way? Oh, absolutely. I've talked about it before. But that's also, I mean, I do think mine is in part due to the being in a, an especially male-dominated world. 
um, because I don't usually have imposter syndrome. I'm usually pretty full of myself. And uh, when it comes to my job, though, I think being one of the only women and having a constant chorus of people telling me to get the hell out of sports because I'm a woman does make you think for a second, wait, maybe I shouldn't be here. And they're like, wait, no, I'm good at this. Um, so I do have yeah. it for sure, yeah. But there yeah, is, that's, and that's even a, the woman yeah, who started right. it. That's a super interesting strain right. of that's and a that's super what, interesting strain of that. That's what she talked about, the woman who started it, was that part of the reason they believed it was more common in women is because you have to tie in all of the societal expectations for what women can or can't achieve and how we're not as great and smart and, and ambitious and everything else. Totally. Yeah, that's I so I just find I I find it's it's the next I I believe I'm not promising this but I believe it's my next book called and we're, we're the, the title the working title is called Do It Anyway and the way I think about imposter syndrome is and I still feel it almost every it's it's Wednesday or Thursday when I have to sit down <laughs> And now, you know, in, I was in Park City, Utah, of all places in the hills in Utah, right? Or I, I'm in I'm in Nelson, New Zealand, and I've got to sit down with a Sharpie and some cardstock, and I've got to draw with my zero art skills. I took a pottery <laughs> class when I was eight. I was eight, right? Like um, that's so, all you got. Yeah. And then I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna put it in a I'm gonna put it in a Fujitsu scanner. Like it, there's no like tabletop glass scanner. There's no music. <laughs> there. And I'm going to hit send to the New York Times, and every week I think I'm going to get a reply. And this is a separate type of counseling, which I'm working on, but <laughs> I think I'm going to get a, re- a reply that says, hey, man, this has been great, but you're, you're finished. Or there's going to be the guy that I have this recurring – I had this used to have this recurring dream where I think his name was Mr. Smithers, the, um, the boss in, uh, yeah, in Simpsons. The Simpsons. He would walk in as <laughs> I was doing it, and he would open the door and go – what's going on in here, right? Like, <laughs> who gave you permission to do that? Like, do you have right. a license? Like, who? Like, that whole thing. And um, and I, I, so, and then I would feel it. I noticed, I noticed it then. And then I noticed it in speaking engagements particularly. Um, and it didn't really matter whether it was five people or, or like the one in South Africa I did where there was 2,500 people. And, and I felt it at both places and I'm still feeling it. And so, in fact, I've started recording the, how I'm feeling, exactly how I'm feeling in the green room right before I go on, just so I can use it for the book. But I've learned, and then I noticed, hey, that feeling is the same feeling I feel. It feels a lot like the beginning of a really awesome mountain bike race. Right. And then I was like, It's like adrenaline and nerves and everything all together. Yeah, so I thought, hey, maybe this is misnamed. (laughs) Maybe, Maybe this feeling is not a stop sign. Right. Huh. Maybe it's not something to get rid of, and I love like Elizabeth Gilbert's work on fear, where she's like, we, "We've all wanted to punch fear in the face." Like, wait a second, fear kept you alive, right? And probably is still keep. What kind of friend that kept that say has saved your life in multiple occasions? Would you want to punch in the teeth? Yeah. Well, so, and so, the opposite would be potentially narcissistic personality disorder or like Dunning-Kruger where really low ability people think that they have like this unearned superiority that they mistakenly believe themselves to be much better which I would think would be other than running for president on the (laughs) opposite side of the spectrum in terms of career success like you are better off questioning yourself and wanting to do so much better because you're worried you're not good enough than doing a job and thinking you're doing great yeah, that's that's the element that I'm still working on in the book. Yeah, you have to do a whole chapter you... on winning the presidency based on Dunning Kruger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I yeah, but but uh, the element I'm still working on is like when do you know that the imposter syndrome is actually telling you the truth? 
right you exactly are because there's right. there's a period of there's a period of time in your early career where you are and we, we, <laughs> yes. we break in i'm working on i'm working on like uh, archetypes and the first archetype we're working on is called the newbie right like you you feel like a fraud because you are right yeah. like you don't know what you're doing and the fake it till you make it is legit like you've got to do that now where do you go from there? Like fake it till you make it. You know, you're learning. Everybody else faked it at this age too, or at this point in my career. To like, wait, I'm just really not actually that good at this. <laughs> I don't know that one. That, yeah. That's still a still a puzzle. But I I think you know, like if we learn to think of that as not a stop sign, but as fuel. That's the way I. So the I think the 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 thing that helped me the most was when I was talking about this with a um, an executive coach, and I was telling her about it, and she said, you know, that has a name. And I was like, what, what do you mean that has a name? She's like, well, that feeling you're having, it has a name. It's called the imposter syndrome. And I'm like, what, what, what? Like, yeah. Because the fact that it had a name meant that, like, was, other people felt it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right? And there's been work on it. And so then I started thinking, like, wait, why don't, if every time that thing shows up, something, something good, something interesting, I don't know if it's going to be good, but something interesting is about to happen, it may not work, which is an element of why it's interesting, but I'm okay with things that may not work. Like that, that's fine with me. I'm, I, in fact, I, I want to do something every day that may not work. If I start to notice that feeling and go, hey, ah, if I can just get, I think where it does the damage is when you're, when you're not conscious of it and you're just like, ah, ah, ah. Yeah. But if you can just pause and go, oh, hey, well, and it's, hey, I'm glad you're back. Let's get to work. Right. Well, and it's also interesting, uh, Herm Edwards said once, you know, the most nervous you are for a test is when you didn't study. So there's a difference between nerves and like anxiety and the the negative side of it. And then sort of the nerves that have you pumped. And I think if you always have imposter syndrome, even when you're completely prepared, then that's probably really problematic. If you only have it in moments where you think, Maybe I could know a little more. I could have prepped a little more. I could have, you know, there are still people that are better than me. That's probably just going to push you to do more work and to do it better. You know, but if it's literally there is nothing in your life that you feel like you're good at and can do competently, then that's probably an actual syndrome, (laughs) you know? What would you, yeah, but what would you call, so forgetting, I I still am using the word imposter syndrome. I I agree it's not really a syndrome, but it's kind of cool and it sounds fun and it makes me Right, and everybody knows that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but what would you call... So I don't know. Do you do you get nervous when you're about to go on TV? Do like I every time before speaking, every time I wonder like because I'm normally speaking to like in, I mean we all are right like yeah. intelligent, smart, passionate, excited people, whatever they are. I mean I was nervous before I called you. Like wait a second, I don't yeah. know really what I'm doing. Like what, right. what do you call that? Because it still happens. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I don't know, I, I because I don't get nervous every time I go on TV, and I don't get nervous every time I talk to people. I'm I'm a pretty good talker. I get nervous if I don't know the topic as well as I would like. Like, I do around the horn, and there's certain topics I feel much better blabbing about than than others. And so when we get to the topic that I try to do a lot of research for and that the numbers don't come easily, that I had to sit and memorize the numbers I wanted to use for some stats, that's when I, I'm like, oh, I'm going to get found out here. You know, but that doesn't happen right. with everything. So I think sometimes there is sort of like a healthy adrenaline of knowing that you're performing on a stage or in a on a show that's going to see thousands and thousands of people. And then there's a different feeling of I don't deserve to be here, you know? Yeah, yeah. It seems that's the conversation I have with myself. I was talking to Rob Bell about this, and he, he does something similar. Like he'll he'll go on get ready to go on stage and he'll have that feeling of like what what am i doing and then he'll 
say to himself, wait, you've done this thousands yeah. of times before. There's nobody more qualified for this Thing. experience people yeah. are about to have than you. And, and that's the exact same conversation I'll have. Wait, 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 wait. I've felt this feeling hundreds of times. Every time I feel it, everything's fine. I'm totally prepared. I know exactly who this audience is. I've got my presentation. I've done it a hundred times. Like everybody loves it. All right, let's go. Right? right. Like you just have to almost rely on, and, and that's the interesting piece of um, of imposter syndrome. Despite external evidence to the contrary, you have a hard time internalizing your own value. Right. Yeah. So, you have to at some point go back and go, hey, what was that external evidence? Oh, yeah, that's right. If you don't right. have any, back to our earlier point, right? If there's yeah. no external evidence. <laughs> but that's what's uh, hard, too, when you're telling people who are in the fake it to make it stage, when they want advice, when they're not confident and when they don't feel good. You have yeah. to remind yourself, what did I feel like then? Because now I yeah. know part of the reason I feel okay is because I do have peers and fans and coworkers to validate what I think is a good job. But if you're starting out and there is none of that, it is really difficult to know whether you're bad or whether you totally. just don't have enough self-belief. It's interesting. I look forward to that book. I hope you write it because I'm super interested in the topic. Um, before I let you go, there's one more thing you have to do. I didn't expect oh. a kind of Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. It's right. It's the Spanish Inquisition. I, it's the same questions right I ask everyone on my podcast. You never, nobody expects it. You weren't expecting it. Uh, number one, what's the natural talent you wish you were gifted with? Oh, man. The first thing that popped to mind was fixing things. Really? You are not I handy. Wish, I wish, yeah. I wish I could just be better at that. I don't, okay. and, but then one. I was quickly like, that's so lame. Like, it should be like dunking from the free throw line or so like, but uh, but it's fixing things I, that's i guess what kind of it's guy i am probably comes up more often than needing to dunk from the free throw line so that's useful uh number two what's your desert island dunk, album dunk period yeah dunk exactly period. yeah touch the rim uh, uh my desert island yeah you can only have album. one uh it has to be uh neil young's greatest hits or Ooh, harvest nice Moon. nice yeah. uh number three if you could switch lives with anyone for a day who would it be Scott Van Pelt. Really? Because I wouldn't have to change my because I wouldn't have to change my haircut. <laughs> You're just hoping to end up on the Where in the World Isn't Scott Van Pelt uh, meme, where they find other bald dudes and my, they think it's. That him. was my whole goal. If I yeah. could talk to Sarah and just get Scott Van Pelt out of my mouth. There that you would go. Be... Well, now you've done it. It's an achievement. Uh, number four. What's the most scared you've ever been? Oh, jeez. Gosh, that's a good question. Um, uh. Either, yeah, no, there was this time I was on top of a, a mountain called the Grand Teton in Wyoming, the Teton Range, and we got started a little later than we than we probably should have that day, and um, a storm rolled in, and I was with you know two other people that were super qualified, like we'd all been on that mountain plenty, we had plenty of experience, and we'd never, and a storm rolled in, and our ice axes were audibly buzzing from the from the the lightning and, and the thunder that came down. My dad was with me, and it knocked yeah. my dad to the ground. And we, you know, like people die up there every year yeah. from lightning. Yeah, it was this, that was absolutely the most terrified I'd been. Yeah, so there was nothing to terrifying. do except just hope. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, number five. What habit or quality do you think has contributed most to your success? Um, the the ability to take the complex and make it simple. Oh, I like that. It's very good. Uh, number six, what's the thing about yourself you'd most like to improve? 
uh, discipline, the ability to say, like, I'm going to do this and stick to it. Right. Or say, I'm not going to do this and not do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sure. uh, and finally, what three words would you most hope people use to describe you? Oh, geez. That's a terrible <laughs> question, Sarah. Um, it's actually a really good question. It's so terrible, it's really good. I know. Uh, passion. Yes. Like and and I mean like enthusiasm, like yeah. excited, stoked, stoked. That, yeah, that's the word. That's the new okay. book I'm working on. I work on a book called Stoked. Um, cool. Stoked. Yeah. Uh, um, I'm thinking of my kids and my daughters, particularly. Uh, and I don't want to use the word loving. That's not the right word, but empathetic or understanding. Compassionate. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good one. Okay. Um, and. Ooh, uh, they're all derivations of those two. Um, energetic, excited, all yeah. stoked. So yeah, stoked, compassionate, and um, and you know what? Back to my quality, I want to improve. Disciplined. You would like people to say it about you, even though it's a lie. To, well, no. I, well, I, once I, you get there, right? Oh, we're eulogizing no, you now. No. All right, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and that I was really good at. Wrapping everything up, I was really good at Kung Fu. There you go. Of course. Well, that's impl- everyone. I mean, everyone first is going to go to Kung Fu Master. So, and everybody uh, knows that. Right. Yes. It's obvious. It's a given. Thank you so much, Carl. This was really interesting, and I super enjoyed it. Uh, you can find his website, the Behavior. Sorry, just BehaviorGap dot com. You can find his stories in the New York Times. You can find him on Morningstar Advisor, um, and your podcast too, right on your website. Awesome. And Twitter, Twitter at Behavior Gap, at Behavior Gap. At Behavior Gap. Thank you so much, Carl. Enjoy the rest of your hey, gorgeous Sarah, day in be- New Zealand. <laughs> before you wrap up, I've got to tell you thank you. Yeah. Um, I've, I've read a bunch about you in preparation for this, and I can't. You're doing homework. I, 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 well, I just, I appreciate as a, look, I don't want to be trite about this, but as a father of yeah. daughters or strong, intense girls that want to, you know, conquer the world. <laughs> it's so awesome to see people pushing boundaries, and I appreciate what, the, all the work. I appreciate yeah. that. I, I always like to hear from fathers who are interested in that because I think it means good things for the future of their daughters. Amen. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, and another thing. This has already gone on too long, and I have nothing else to say except for now that you're done listening to my podcast, go take a walk or read a book that doesn't have to do with work or take a nap or hang out with your dog or go to dinner with your significant other or just watch a TV show that you've been meaning to catch up on. Cool? Awesome. Thanks for lasting about an hour with me. That's what she said.